morning, everybody. It's Friday, October 22nd, 2021. I'm Charlie Fink. I'm here with Ted Chilowitz. It's This Week in XR. Our special guest this week is Paul Travers, the founder and CEO of Vuzix, an AR headset maker uh, that has been riding the tech stock boom throughout the pandemic. I look forward to catching up with Paul. They've been in the business for over a dozen years uh, and have been um, evolving with us every step of the way. He's a great guy. Can't wait to get into that conversation. But first, Ted, um, uh, we'd be disappointed if Facebook and the metaverse weren't the lead story and they once again did not disappoint. Continue to grab the news cycle. Um, I mean, oh my God, it's, it's, and you would think they would want to shut up for a little while <laughs> and get people's attention turned to something else, but it's like they can't help themselves. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, they're, they're jockeying and they're working through their problems and they're working through their, their ethics. And, and, you know, I so, think, in, you know, go ahead. So they got 10,000 employees working on the metaverse or their uh, Facebook reality labs yeah. here in the US and they're gonna double that number. Right, that actually may be more significant to folks like us and our listeners. Yeah, I mean, the, what the, the name change stuff, which yes. is you know, the fodder that everybody wants to talk about. But adding another 10,000 humans, regardless of whatever the size of your company is, to commit to a new area of business. And not just any humans, they're-, they're Yes, these are high-end humans. Yeah. Right. But it's a massive, you know, economic commitment and strategic commitment to a company to say, we don't only believe in this metaverse concept as a talking point and something we're going to dabble in. We're going effectively all in on this. And we're going to hire the amount of human resources across the engineering spheres, the research spheres, and the deployment spheres to make this real. So it is a very, like, you cannot not pay attention to this. It's very important when a company says, we're committed to adding thousands and thousands of employees to do something. Um, their goal is to really make this real and get out there in the compute space and compete across this um, this landscape. And uh, and we'd like to change our name while we're doing that, by the way. Yeah, and by the way, furnished brand that reminds you that we have very little in the way of business ethics. Forget about that. We're going to create a sweet brand like Beach. And the, and the things I'm thinking about when this came up, and I'm curious if you had the same reaction. I think, well, I mean, I... I yeah, I mean, I, I guess, I mean, I, again, I'm, it's, everybody's just speculating and it is, um, you know, salacious to think that uh, well, they're well, doing my, it. My instincts, I'm just curious if you, if you thought this too. My first gut instinct was the new Coke debacle. You don't remember <laughs> new Coke, right? And, yeah. and then they had to go back to old Coke. And then they I know, Coke because, at, and um, um yeah, that was that was pretty incredible. I don't know whether that would happen. The evolution of branding as like, you know, nobody calls FedEx Federal Express anymore, right? They, right. they literally, re, they modernized their name yeah. and evolved it. And even, uh, you know, consumer food brand like Kentucky Fried Chicken. Well, I mean, Hewlett Packard is now HP. Right. So there's there's an interesting legacy. Yeah. I don't think that's what's behind the Facebook. No, thing. not at all. I, I do. Not I mean, I you know, I think that they're just... Leaning in, I, I wonder how metaversey the word, the brand really will be in the end. I hope it's not. Honestly, I'd like them to pick a neutral name like Amazon and then make a brand with the product and the quality rather than finding some fancy word that then they're going to aspire to. 
Well, they, and they are obviously leaning into that horizons concept for all of their metaverse stuff. So there's a logical sort of trajectory of that. Yeah, so several of- people have suggested they're going to change the name of the company to Horizon, uh, which, you know, would, would be easily uh, confused with Verizon. Uh, right. So, you know, like I said, I, I, I'm hoping that they'll choose something that means nothing and that the meaning will be added by the quality of their services. Yeah, well, you know, if they're, if they're turning a page in some ways and really trying to express that, then okay, you know, we'll give them a wide berth and see what happens. I, I, I mean, it doesn't, it's not a crazy idea, right? That they're gonna turn all these brands, uh, Instagram, WhatsApp, Oculus into operating business units. And then there's one kind of um, conglomerate name. Well, like Google and Alphabet yeah. did with Alphabet. Right? Yeah, right. exactly. So, uh, uh, Giving them the benefit of the doubt, and uh, by the way, let's let's turn to the good news segment of our show. Happy birthday, Quest! Yeah, two years and selling like hotcakes, right? Wow. I mean, I I, I wish we knew how many. It's clearly in excess of ten million at this point. Probably, but yeah. but yeah. but how many? You know, it could be twice as many. It could be even a little less. But I wish we could get some uh, a real um, guidance. Well, and the things that are really relevant to folks like us is you know at the numbers that they're selling, where are people from a daily use, weekly use, how much software are they downloading? How much are they spending you know, per, per month on the soft goods that are associated with the hardware, right? Which of course we know- from Well, the- sure, they're selling the hardware at a loss. So the whole idea is that they're gonna sell enough razor blades to um, cover the cost of the razor. Right, so those, those are the, real, the really relevant sort of statistics mm-hmm. and research is, are people actually engaging with the device and using the device? Normal consumers. I'll, I'll tell you a little anecdote. I was at my my uh, general uh, GP doctor just doing a, my uh, late fifties checkup, and he was just talking about, about how he's become a Quest user, and he told me the games that he plays with his friends, and he's like us, pro putt. He's into pro putt and golf because he's a golfer, he's a doctor. Uh, and he, you know, I said, "Have you tried the driving range yet?" He's like, "Not yet." Okay, we'll join in the driving range. He's played some of the the ping pong games and uh, you know eleven eleven, and yeah. and I said, "Have you done Robo Recall yet on the Quest?" He's like, "No, I haven't." I'm like, "Tonight, do Robo Recall." <laughs> It's interesting, but you know, he's a doctor, right? That just is into this because he needed a a getaway from the pandemic stuff. And he bought my, my, my concern in, in general about the quest. And I think I've told you, I see this with my students who, you know, are in our XR minor at Chapman and um, you know, they love the quest. They take it home with them for the summer. We give them all a quest. They take them home with with them for the summer. And I'm like, so what were you doing this summer with your quest? And not much. Well, why not? Well, you know, because there are video games, and there was this thing on Netflix, and a lot of distractions out there. Yeah, so so many um, competing things for people to use, uh, you know, to to do with their time. So uh, I think it's 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 slowly getting there. The quest, you know, the but I do think the key question is how frequently and how long. You know, and I, I think that it, it may be as excited as we are. And look, I mean, we, we, we've come from nothing. So the quest is really something. Mm-hmm. But is it good enough yet to get people to change their behavior? Is it good enough yet to get console gamers playing VR games instead? Yeah. And, and so, I think we're starting to see the, 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 you know, the chips of the armor, pieces of it starting yeah. to fall. It's not, yeah. a, it's not what I wouldn't consider it a movement yet. I would consider it the start I, of it. Because I, I think that for, for a lot of regular people, they put it on and they're like, oh, I'm inside of a video game. This has nothing to do with reality. Right. You know, and I think I so wish we had called it simulated reality mm-hmm. and not virtual reality because people have an expectation of reality. Um, not, nonetheless, um, VR is here to stay. The quest is really getting somewhere. 
Uh, it bodes extremely well for the whole industry. Uh, and certainly, you know, Facebook's positioning within it. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, the games, of course, are getting getting better and better. But the biggest birthday present Facebook, the, the Oculus Quest could have gotten was Accenture buying 60,000 of them yeah, for training order, right? new employees. Mm -hmm. I mean, what a freaking validation that is. Yeah. And they're, you know, these companies that are growing really, really fast can't scale in any other way than to essentially use an extension of what we like to call the metaverse to start to train people at scale and use these simulation behaviors. It, it's working a lot, right? Well, so leave, leave it to enterprise. And, and um, we'll, we'll talk about this with uh, Paul Travers uh, when we get him on here in a minute. But, you know, leave it to enterprise to immediately see the problem. We need to be a better be together, but we have to be apart and immediately find a, a, a solution and deploy it. If only it worked that simple for computers, yeah, for consumers, right? We can't be together. Okay, let's buy a Quest. <laughs> it works. You know what? It, it's yeah. showing us the future, which is yeah. And uh, you know, Accenture, Accenture is an exacting and scientific company, so they don't do these things without researching them and understanding the efficacy of the solution. So uh, I, I think that is a real uh, powerful endorsement for for um, VR training, uh, for sure. Um, oh, a new headset this week from Virgo. Yeah, on the on the other side of the spectrum, right? On yep. these like high level, but you know, starting to get a little more prosumery. But you're still talking about a multi thousand dollar device. Connected yeah, it's a two thousand dollar headset, but but that kind of technology cost six thousand dollars yesterday. Yesterday, right? And and you know, you're still talking about a high end GPU type computer to connect to it. But the dynamic of the use case of people needing high fidelity experiences uh, in a VR headset that is not you know, in the many, many, many thousands of dollars, which it was just one cycle ago, uh, also bodes well for this industry. There, there's going to be lots of sectors of this industry that are going to use it. I, I spent a lot of time um, with some of the auto manufacturers and so, sort of the bowels of them design use cases. And they were using, you know, Vives at the time um, and, you know, with very sophisticated tracking systems and stuff. And well, they used the super high-end ones like the X-Tals. They were, yeah, yeah they really exotic stuff. But then they migrated to more consumer stuff because it was actually just more functional. Even though they gave up resolution, uh, the trackers were better and the system was better and the, the software was better. So they're designing cars and they're designing interfaces and the way things look inside the car, inside VR, and they're yearning for that better headset because these, that's where that market is. They can afford this stuff, yeah. right? Well, so when you, what, you know, I, uh, you and I both put on these headsets, the XTAL uh, is really um, more brilliant than reality. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I literally was doing a car simulation with them, trying to open the door to the car. <laughs> like, oh, this is stupid. I can just stand up and walk. Through. Right. But your brain said, no, that's a real thing. You better <laughs> right, open exactly. Um, you know, I mean, it was one of those things where you could read uh, the names of the books on the spines of the li in the library. Right. Well, you know, and that and kind you know, of crazy to the consumer aspirations. The one of the things that, of course, was uh, sort of buried, you know, when they're changing their name and stuff. But Zuckerberg teasing this retina quality headset in their research labs is very much like this Varjo approach. But, you know, he's thinking mass scale. He's thinking X amount of years from now, I can take a small loss leader product like the Quest 2 and make it a truly photorealistic device. And there's going to be use cases for that as well. So it's, it's quite an interesting yep. time. I mean, yep. it's never not an interesting time for us, but this is very <laughs> So um, 
A couple more things we'll just hit on real quick before we get uh, to finish up the news. The Glimpse Group. You know what the Glimpse Group is? Yeah. They're, 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 they're this, this conglomerate um, based in New York that acquires small, profitable XR companies. So they just uh, acquired their uh, 11th company, XR Terra. Not a huge company, a small, profitable company helping other corporations train up their workforces for spatial computing. Right. And it's an interesting bet, right? They're they're betting on the sector. They're 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 spreading out. They know that all those companies won't survive, but they're wanting one or two hits across, you know, a calendar year, a year that can be beneficial and grow. And that's a it's, and, it's no and, different than any other industry sector sort of investment strategy. And and they trade on the Nasdaq as VRA. So can buy how can you not love that? That's like um, Matthew Ball's e, uh, EFT, right? His uh, uh, ETF trading as Meta. <laughs> yep. So, um, last but certainly not e, uh, least, Epic Games throwing the doors to the store open to the um, crypto-based games that have been banned by Steam. Yeah. The classic when someone else says no, when someone says no, someone else will say yes, right? And and Epic is saying yes, and they're as long as they say as long as it's legal, they will That's support right. the idea of these crypto-oriented earn-to-play concept games. Well, you know, it's it's also just that this idea that Epic is going to start building its own app store. Right. All that's that ultimately is where the showdown is going. They want their own app store and they want people like Apple and Google to stop black black blocking their apps on their devices. Yeah. The next step in the evolution of all this. The next step. Well, let's get to Paul. This is going to be a great conversation. Our guest this morning is Paul Travers, the founder and CEO of uh, AR headset maker Vuzix. Uh, Vuzix uses a lot of different technologies to approach the problem of head-mounted displays for augmented reality, primarily for enterprise. I'm thrilled to have you on the show this morning, Paul. Great to see you. Um, yeah. It looks like we're going to be having our conferences in the real, so I'm actually going to see you uh, in the physical world shortly. Yeah, it's very, very true. Um, as much as the metaverse seems so exciting, people really do want to get back to reality at the same time. Yeah, I'm expecting the, the shows to actually be pretty well attended. Uh, I know some people are staying away, but uh, and and perhaps it won't be at the euphoric uh, 2019 levels, but uh, I, I, it's going to be more than I thought. Uh, I think both at AWE and at CES. It, it, Charlie, it really does feel like COVID is beginning to lose its battle, thank, yeah. thankfully. And and the world is going to start coming back to normalcy in a way. I think some things have changed forever, though. So, uh, and in some cases, for the better. So, well, that's that's a that's a great place to start, Paul. How do you think things have changed uh, and and are not going back? What things well, have changed permanently? Yeah. So, it's expensive to get on an airplane. It consumes a lot of fuel to get on an airplane. You can only do just so much when you're on an airplane to do a tech support or do an audit in a facility. But with the advent of technology, like all of this, everything, I mean, from Zoom calls, like we're doing now, I mean, we're doing this, clearly we're not in the same room even, but we're able to have this nice recording of what's going on between us and update everybody. Um, it's even more incredible when you can wear a pair of glasses, be hands-free and literally teleport to China to see what's going on on your plant floor. And in the medical space, especially COVID made it impossible to get inside of a hospital. Yet some operations had to continue and remote support, tele, 
teleoperations, that side of music's business has just really taken off in a big way. And so these kind of remote things are saving money. They're allowing more and more things to happen that would take time to happen because the med tech can't get there until two and a half weeks from now because he's booked up kind of stuff. So um, COVID opened those doors, especially in medical. The, you know, the medical community takes a long time to adopt new technologies and they were forced because of COVID to do things so they could operate. And, and that's based for Vusics from Medacta to Pixie to Medtronic. I mean, the number of med tech companies that are embracing this whole remote support and remote operations with smart glasses on is amazing to me. You know, it's funny, telemedicine has been something that as I'm sure you know, has kind of been happening for the past 25 years, but the institutional obstacles um, even in a community which is based on science, were almost impossible to overcome. Who pays for the training? Who pays for the hardware? Yeah. Who, you know, does the insurance company approve it? Is it HIPAA compliant? And man, the day after the pandemic hit, everybody was like, what HIPAA requirements? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> unbelievable, like 20 years of, um, of roadblocks just disappeared instantly. Yes. Well, I think the medical community is about better outcomes and doing what's best for the patient. And during COVID, there was no way to do what best, what's best for the patient without adopting these things. That said, now, Charlie, I mean, most of the applications that run on Vuzix glasses that are in that space, they're all HIPAA compliant. You know, they meet the mm -hmm. standards now. Um, and doctors, you put the thing on and it just works. Like, you know, you, glasses on, QR code scan, boom, you're connected to who you wanna be. In fact, today with our glasses, you can connect almost all of the equipment in the operating theater through this HIPAA compliant web interface that allows uh, expert medical tech or another doctor to see what's going on and learn how to do an operation for proctoring, training purposes, right on through to, you know, am I using the right stent for this surgery? And, 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 and Paul, you, you are, are an interesting breed of company in head-worn mixed reality, augmented reality, that's a public company. Um, and you know is publicly traded on the market. That's a that's still a very unique uh, characteristic of most of these companies. Are well, and it's and it's a pure play XR company, right? Yeah. Vuzix doesn't do this and have some other huge business. Correct. So that's why I was curious to hear your your journey over the last couple of years. And since since you're one of the founders, um, you know what it. Oh, the only to, founder. <laughs> founder. What it took to achieve that objective and, uh, and what it feels like to be a public company in this space. I think a lot of our listeners and viewers would be very interested in that. We have a, a long history of being in this space and it goes back before we went public in 2009. Um, I've actually, Charlie, if I'm being frank, there's a lot of folks on my team here that really have plugged hard since 1997. Wow. And in fact, my first company in the VR space music spot in 1997 to start the company. If you look back in your history books, you'll see there's a product called the VFX one. It was the first consumer VR headset in the marketplace, big football helmet kind of a thing. That's where we came from. We went to the defense space. We were making, you know, lightweight, which is where we learned, like if it's big and it's heavy, people aren't going to wear it. They're not going to be able to use it. And that's been our theme since we made those big headsets is look in enterprise, in the defense space, you've got to make these lightweight gizmos. So, but if you look at over that period of time, there has been a lot of roadkill. This industry has, mm. it's, a, it's a hard one if you think about it. 
but it's it's really starting to happen now. And there's a lot of technology changes that have come along the way, and music is driving some of those that are making these products more and more viable, and in fact becoming almost indispensable. And to get there, though, there was a point in time where a VC and private funding and angel funding, all they saw was roadkill. <laughs> Nobody wanted to invest in companies like Musics, except potentially in the public markets. So we did take Musics public in 2009. We started on the Toronto Stock Venture Exchange. This is a rare thing actually to be successful at also to go from a smaller exchange like the the Vancouver Stock Venture Exchange to the OTC and then to the NASDAQ. I mean, these are, they're, they're rough waters to navigate through, quite frankly, especially in an industry that goes through fits and spurts. But the core technology that Musics has is, I think, so important to this industry. And, you know, we're, we're gaining more and more traction. And then if you tell that story correct, and as it unfolds, I think the market begins to more and more appreciate where Musics is going. If you look at the industry in general right now, it's a great time for Musics to be public because the whole AR space is about ready to just, you know, blossom into the biggest industries in the world. In fact, this is the future of computing. Think about it. They used to be mainframes that was an entire building and then rooms and they were air conditioned in order to work. And then finally the desktop and then the laptop and then the tablet, the PC that turns into the smartphone. That's most people's computing devices today is their smartphones. But when you can take the digital world and connect it to the real world, it changes everything. And smart glasses are the things that are going to do that. So here's an interesting follow-up on that. Um, so some of the largest companies in the world with the largest valuations on planet Earth are dabbling and their dabbling is probably more than you can spend over the entire lifetime of your company as it stands now. So let's compare you to a company like Microsoft and their HoloLens aspirations. And what are your key advantages? How do you talk to your customers, get them excited about what you're doing for these very specialized purposes as it relates to these large companies with other very large aspirations across oh, the entire computer? I've got one for you, Ted. Buying a Musics headset does not require you to... Um, pay a $5,000 a month subscription to the uh, Microsoft Cloud. To, to, to Azure, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so just, just a new perspective, Paul. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, we, there's going to be lots of versions of these devices in the coming, you know, five to 10 years. It'll be fun to see some of it, frankly. Musics has a common theme. People use our product to go to work and they're beginning to de deploy them. And when you deploy, it's not for an hour. You give these some to somebody, they run for an eight hour shift. And then the next guy comes on and there's another eight hour shift right behind it. And a 2.8 ounce lightweight, high powered eight core processor, just the right screen size, 4K camera that streams really well, does exactly what needs to get done and can be worn for an eight hour shift. Right. And I'm not trying to throw HoloLens under the bus. I, I think Microsoft, the HoloLens is an amazing piece of kit. Spatial computing does it better than anybody out there today. It's all in one. But if you give that to a person that's, you know, stacking pallets, an hour after he has a thing on, he's going to want to take himself out and quit because it hurts to wear something for an eight hour sure. shift that big. And, you know, when you're picking out of warehouses or if you're a doctor and you've got all this personal protective equipment on and you've got your eye loops on and you've got all this stuff that you need to perform an operation, where does HoloLens fit? 
Exactly right. Well, to the point of you know that gigantic military contact that uh, contract at twenty two billion billion dollars that was on this like massive forward press trajectory, and then Charlie and I were always like, oh, oh I've got to imagine that it's point this is going to start to like people are going to start to figure out wearability dynamics and they're going to start to change their use case of this and their trajectory on this and i think you're clearly describing that challenge is there is not one device that will be the master of all there will be very specific use cases for probably the foreseeable future where things are designed and relatively purpose-built for a use case and that's kind of where it sounds like you fit into that yeah i think that that's right i mean the other thing about enterprise, you know, versus some of the aspirations for like a, a Facebook or a Google or an Amazon that they might have, right? They, they need a device that's got an, a, a wonderful user interface on it, that's got a ton of applications, at least enough of them in the general enough usability that the average consumer will put them on and say, wow, this is so cool. And they're going to compare it to their phone and all the things that it can do, right? And so... That's a really hard problem to solve. Yeah. I think I think the consumer um, market for AR HMDs has yet to emerge. I I just I don't know what the application is for an all day, every day um, AR wearable uh, for consumer. I just don't know what it's going to do that's better. Um, but I do know, obviously, uh, if you work in a warehouse, um, how great it is to have your hands free. Uh, to be able to actually do the work uh, while all of the computing takes place, not with different devices hanging off your body, but just with your eyes when you look at stuff. So, you know, it's so obvious the advantage to that uh, and not just in efficiency, but also in safety um, versus, uh, you know, a headset or, or some kind of modified glasses that I would wear that would tell me what the weather is when I could see perfectly fine what it is right now. So, um, you know, the bringing the smartphone up in front of your face, um, you know, sounds like a good idea for a second. But when you consider what that would mean in terms of interrupting your field of view, in terms of giving you information you don't want when you don't want it, it just seems to be such a, you know, such a long field at the moment, perhaps, you know, in, in 10 years or in 20 years, it might emerge um, how we might think differently uh, about um, head-mounted displays. But I think right now, um, at least for augmented reality, enterprise is, um, you know, the, the big opportunity. Uh, and so it's, few businesses have yet made the switch. I, I think, Charlie, what's took for us anyway, right? We're, we have been working on the technology to make glasses that are small and trim and sexy. We think that's critical, whether you're an enterprise or the consumer, the consumer especially, right? I mean, people buy their phones and you see them, they're, they're polishing them. They, you know, <laughs> they treat them like they're this, this like fashion statement even. Glasses are worse. So you got to make the glasses tech so slick and you know, things like micro LED technology has got to come along. The display engine has got to get smaller. The waveguides have to get better. There's things about forward light that has to get removed. Uh, you kind yep. of know drill here, right? Those are all things Vuzix is working on. We're working on them for the enterprise space right now. Um, more than one of the big dogs, they're, they're always knocking on our door. What are you doing now, Paul? Kind of stuff, right? <laughs> but it, it's inevitable that ultimately these things are going to be everywhere, right? But, but, but to your point, the easy, low-hanging fruit is enterprise. You can write an application to solve a problem. Simple one, right? You're, you're stacking pallets. The glasses 
connected to the computer system that's out there knows the next 30 things that got to get stacked on that pallet. Mm -hmm. So it can pre-stack the pallet so that the user can just look, oh, this has got to go here in the pallet and it tells it where to put it. You can't do that with anything today. You, you know, right. you mean, you could give the guy a, a tablet that's connected and he could do it, right? And it's coming. And But how do you use the tablet, go back and forth to the pallet and use your hands to pick the damn stuff and pack it, right? So these are things that just work today. They're incredibly valuable. And ultimately, you know, this whole metaverse thing, right? Mm. I think the metaverse is going to be great for communications and doing stuff like what we're doing here. We could be sitting in an office together. It would be great for enterprise, right? But where I think it really has a potential to play an enterprise is with digital twins and having the metaverse tied into your factory. You got the glasses on and it takes all those invisible systems that are part of the metaverse now because the IoT stuff is all labeled and put in place in the virtual sense. But then as you're walking through the factory floor, that information just shows up. So you can look at the bearings on the motor and see they're overheating and you need maintenance on it so the equipment doesn't go down, you know, those kinds of things. So in enterprise, I think the metaverse plays, but it's mostly through digital twins and connecting that sort of stuff. And this whole idea of communications, like what we're doing today. Of course, the metaverse, there's a lot of people that will not take the red pill. <laughs> they're going to want the blue pill <laughs> and they're just going to want to spend as much time as they can because it's you could clearly see how compelling it could be vr is getting better and better i mean you've got to hand it to it I, it's still to me a use it for an hour kind of a thing it's not something that but there are some people that are really into it and use it for much more than they did 20 years ago when i came out with the first headsets and stuff well the the, the fascinating thing about humans as we know is humans find a way Right. And, and to the point of your early reference of, you know, the smartphone dynamics and how many things we do with that little pane of glass connected to a, a computer chip connected to this cloud infrastructure. Um, I think even the smartest people 40 years ago could not have anticipated how this is constantly connected to right. our human behavior every moment of every day from the waking to the sleeping. Um, it's it's almost it is the world of sort of science fiction come to life and then as you start to think about getting it up into your eyes and getting it where your visual system is this idea of what you're working on as we sit here in 2021 it'll be very interested interesting to like interview you every two or three years to see how far humans have developed all of these use cases that even you didn't anticipate would be you know being accomplished and like what i'm seeing because i do a lot in the medical world as well in the pro bono parts of my life, how much is being accepted and adopted of this visual overlay into the operating system uh, in the operating room for all types of things where the surgeons are literally, you know, using this robotic augmented visual system to actually run, you know, mission critical, life critical things. And that would not have happened in any way, shape or form 10 years ago. So it's, it's fascinating that you're in this space. The iPhone came out with what, like six apps on it? Yeah. yeah. And it was That's envisioned right. as a, a way to get email and, and the likes and the much a, a web browser and a newsreader. And that was, yeah. It. And yeah. boy, look at how much it's changed. Mm -hmm. It's it's amazing. And to your point in the medical space, it is amazing to me how people are using our glasses and a med tech can do, you know, multiple operations a day now, not right. just in a week. And he can join a screen just like this, but in, instead of you guys being here, it's, 
I got the, your heart rate and I got your, the x-rays for the, the patient and I got the doctor's real-time view of what's going on and all these things I can zoom in on as the med tech or as the doctor helping the doctor that's in South Africa learning how to do this open heart surgery. And I don't, I don't have to leave my, my house to do it. So it's, it's revolutionizing the operating theater for sure. Agreed. Um, Paul, the, uh, the big headset in your inventory that has been the most popular is called the M400. Is that right? Yeah, the M400 right now is kind of the flagship, Charlie. Yep. Yeah, the, the M400. And this thing is just loaded with sensors and just practical things like flashlights. And yeah. all the things you'd have hanging off you are kind of all hands-free now. Yeah, it was built literally to be sort of like the Swiss Army knife, but access to everything you needed, not spatial computing. You know, it's, it's not about the classic, you know, augmented reality where the right if we were splitting hairs it would be assisted reality because it yeah. uses a a monocular micro display that kind of floats on your peripheral vision that you you know shift your attention to when you need it yes but it's a beautiful oled display absolutely yes. clear Super bright i know i've seen it yeah it's, it's it's so functional for the enterprise space and we built this thing so you could wear it on hard hats, on baseball caps, on headbands. We have a mount now for all of the, the doctor's operating light systems that they wear. So it just slides onto that. So, it's, yeah. so this thing is designed to go to work. And it gives you the features and functions you would need while you're at work. And it was thought out for that. Think about it, Charlie. We started as an M100. And right. This is the M400, right? So <laughs> there's been a lot of improvements. And it's so funny. It, it's followed the whole what SOC is available from the suppliers of guys like Texas Instruments with their OMAP series at first, right? And then it went to Intel and then it went to Qualcomm now. And because these were the only processors that could work along the way. And as they kind of moved and went, weren't the only ones, by the way, we, we somehow managed to use the same series of processors as Google-ish along the way too. Um, but yeah, this has come from years of input from the customers and the likes and, and i will say that over the last year and a half the covid years yeah column this whole remote everything has taken off in a big way unfortunately it had hurt music's business on most of the other things anybody that was looking at how do i you know pick better warehouses and stuff those companies got also damn busy just trying to keep store shelves stocked mm -hmm. right they did and and those employees that were working on those more advanced programs they were all sitting at home so they you know they couldn't move forward all that stuff is changing now it's so now the other use cases besides all these remote and medical things are starting to come to life at music it's exciting to see things like these insurance companies coming alive and the warehouse picking stuff coming up and onboarding has become a big deal i mean some of these companies are hiring you know three to five hundred people a day even yeah. and how do you train all those people and so now that the post-COVID days, knock on what are coming, the I think you'll see that the pace of enterprise start to pick up in some of these other areas for smart glasses. Well, and Paul, this is a, a, a question that I've had and, and thought about for a long time, and you, you touched upon it. I'm curious in terms of the monocular display concept and use cases versus the binocular display use cases, are you still finding that most of your clientele and most of your 
usability testing and desirability of product is on single eye where one eye is essentially you know clear and open to the world and the other eye is getting or are you starting to see a crossover where people are trying to figure out actually having a stereoscopic stereoscopic type system i'm actually curious where you sit in the eco in the kind of evolution of these things right now that, yeah where, so the m series products at musics the m4000 m400s you know they're monoculars that's singular right right single yeah, right. For, for tech heads right so these guys have model numbers <laughs> they were built as monoculars they were built as a as a remote information display it's great because it's like the heads-up display on your car or just even just even just the speedometer on your car where you glance at it when you need it but it's out of the way and that works really well for the use cases and where most of the isvs are focused for our current classes that said we announced a bit ago these next generation glasses that are coming. They look strikingly like a pair of Oakleys from the front, especially, or conventional fashion forward looking glasses. They've got binocular displays in them. They're super comfortable to use. And we think that that interface is gonna have its own place in some of the areas. There's, there's no reason why the monocular still will not be very, very successful, quite frankly. It gets the job done yeah. for what it was made for, right? But we see binocular in the end as the best place to be. And we see optical see-through systems as the best place to be also. But would um, you say that like at this stage of what you sell in a year time, 90% or more of your products are, are monocular in use case? Is that kind of the right? Ted, I'll go 100%. Because 100%. Okay. So this is yeah. really interesting, Charlie, for us to even study this the sector, right? That the true use case of this is what they figured out is that people need a heads up display in the right area on a single eye today. And as it evolves over time, maybe there'll be some change in that wind, but logically you found where the sweet spot of the market is and you're cultivating that. That to me is a very interesting perspective on business. So our first binocular pair are actually safety glasses. Mm. They're designed to be used in environments, you know, where they're metal that might be flying off of a milling machine or in pharma where there's chemicals around and you know so they're but in those cases the customers made it very clear they don't always want the display on right times based upon what they're doing they want the display off completely off and in cases in medical it's the same thing where it's the display doesn't need to be there except for setup and or some feedback during certain parts of the operation and so these optical see-through systems that have you know 90 plus percent transmission are key the ability to turn the display on and off when it's needed is key right. not many people need to have that information in front of them 24 7. Absolutely. right that's interesting yeah it's really interesting yeah. if you're a guy that's repairing a piece of equipment right you you want a quick look at the the manual right so you flip the display on, you got the PDF, ah, wire one goes to XYZ header seven. Then you want it out of the way so that you can get the work done, right? So it's it's rare that you want everything overlaid. And until the focus disparity issues and vergence, convergence issues can be dealt with to so the real world and that stuff matches up really well. So spatial computing is there. Um, we think that's the way it'll be for a bit. Or you're gonna be making great big headsets that have lots and lots of sensors on it. And guess what? That's, I hate to say it, but it's kind of more of low volume use cases and science yeah. experiments. And yeah. the, you know, to be in the sweet spot, you have to be able to do the all day thing. Yeah, right. Well, we see a lot of advantages in the entertainment field for creating fantasy environments 
that yeah. want to be, be pervasive. But what you're working on is a whole different part of the sector. It's productivity and industrial use case. And it's a very different thing that you're managing than what I live in every day. So it's interesting to hear the perspective because I think about it a lot, you know, it's interesting. Yes, well, you know, I think about your use case, the entertainment <laughs> side of it, because we oh, used yeah. to be there. We, we made a lot of products that were designed to watch movies on with your iPhone. In fact, our, our largest selling pair of consumer glasses we had an OLED display in them. They were binocular and they were designed to plug into an iPod. And you could play, you know, the videos when they first came out. Even they only had a monochrome screen on the earlier ones. And there was no batteries, nothing, man. You just plugged it into your iPod and you could kick back and watch really nice full color videos. Mm -hmm. They were only, I think they were QVGA at the time, but yeah. compared yeah. to that monochrome screen and it just super lightweight. And, in fact, we completely sold out of our inventory and the company that was supplying us the OLEDs couldn't supply enough of them and ended up going out of business for other reasons. But this was a, it was a winter product. But I see smart glasses ultimately when they look really cool, people wear them everywhere, that this, ex this experience where you've got a, you know, a 72 inch flat panel in front of you, the glasses are on and for the most part, they're opaque so that you're getting a high contrast maybe even fully immersive all the way around. But, you know, I, I see them colliding into a single device ultimately. Well, you know, watching video is the killer app of the smartphone. So sure uh, that, is. that yeah. is where most hours on the smartphone are spent playing games or watching videos. All the other activities that we do are really um, not nearly as popular. Right. right, TikTok and the next one, the next one. I, I, when I first saw YouTube, I said, why would anybody <laughs> want to use this for anything? I just didn't get it. Yeah. And I, I use it all the time now. How I do know, I? It takes a little while to say, oh, now I get it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, it was, thank you for taking the time to come on the show this morning. It was really great to catch up with you. Uh, looking forward to seeing you at CES and, and AWE. In, right. in a few weeks. Unfortunately, we're there. My team is there and everything. I won't be there, Charlie, so I'll oh. miss you. But you but will I, be at CES, right? Uh, yeah, we got a 30 by 30 booth in the main hall. and It's always yeah. mopped. I'll, I'll make my way there. Sounds great. Well, we'll be showing some new stuff there. Can't hey, wait. Can't wait to see it. Thanks, in Paul. fact, our first pair of binocular smart glasses, you guys might oh, want great. to see. Oh, right. damn. Hell yeah. Game I'll off. be first in line. Sounds great, guys. All right. Have a great weekend. Thanks again, Paul. Yep. Thank you. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Thanks for joining us.